0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by minnow Culemborg, The Netherlands. History of Holland by George Edmondson Chapter 34 the later reign of William III, and the Regency of Queen Emma, 1872-1898. to The death of Thorbecke was the signal for a growing cleavage between the old doctrinaire school of liberals, who adhered to the principles of 1848, and the advanced liberalism of many of the younger progressive type. To Gerrit de Vries was entrusted the duty of forming a ministry, and he had the assistance of the former First Minister F. van der Putte. His position was weakened by the opposition of the Catholic Party, who became alienated from the liberals, partly on the religious education question, but more especially because their former allies refused to protest against the Italian occupation of Rome. The election of 1873 did not improve matters, for it left the divided liberals to face an opposition of equal strength, whenever the conservatives, anti-revolutionaries and Catholics acted together. This same year saw the first phase of the war with the piratical state of Arthier, an expedition of 3,600 men under General Köhler, was sent out against the defiant sultan in April 1873, but suffered disaster, the general himself dying of disease. A second, stronger expedition under general van Zwieten was then dispatched, which was successful, and the sultan was deposed in January 1874. This involved heavy charges on the treasury, and the ministry, after suffering two reverses in the second chamber, resigned June 1874, being succeeded by a Heemskerk coalition ministry. Heemskerk, in his former premiership, had shown himself to be a clever tactician, and for three years he managed to maintain himself in office against the combined opposition of the advanced liberals, the anti-revolutionaries and the Catholics. Groen van Prinsterer died in May 1876 and with his death the hitherto aristocratic and exclusive party which he had so long led became transformed under its new leader Abraham Kuyper it became democratized and by combining its support of the religious principle in education with that of progressive reform was able to exercise a far wider influence in the political sphere Guiper, for many years a Calvinist pastor, undertook in 1872 the editorship of the anti-revolutionary paper The Standard. In 1874 he was elected member for Gouda, but resigned in order to give his whole time to journalism in the interest of the political principles to which he now devoted his great abilities. The Heemskerk ministry had the support of no party, but by the opportunist skill of its chief it continued in office for three years. No party was prepared to take its place, and the government of the king must be carried on. The measures that were passed in this time were useful rather than important. An attempt to deal with primary instruction led to the downfall of the ministry. The elections of 1877 strengthened the liberals and, an amendment to the speech from the throne being carried, Heemskerk resigned. His place was taken by Johannes Capena, leader of the progressive liberals. A new department of state was now created, that of waterways and commerce, whose duties in a country like Holland, covered with a network of dikes and canals, was of great importance. A measure which denied state support to the private schools was bitterly resisted by the anti-revolutionaries and the Catholics, whose union in defence of religious education was from this time forward to become closer. The outlay, in connection with the costly Ache war, which had broken out afresh, led to a considerable deficit in the budget. In consequence of this, a proposal for the construction of some new canals was rejected by a majority of one. The financial difficulties, which had necessitated the imposing of unpopular taxes, had once more led to divisions in the liberal ranks. And Capena, finding that the king would not support his proposals for a revision of the fundamental law, saw no course open to him but resignation. In these circumstances, the king decided to ask an anti-revolutionary, Count van Linden van Sandenburg, to form a ministry of affairs, composed of moderate men of various parties. Van Linden had a difficult task, but with the strong support of the king, his policy of conciliation carried him safely through four disquieting and anxious years. The revolt of the Boers in the Transvaal against British rule caused great excitement in Holland, and aroused much sympathy. Van Linden was careful to avoid any steps which might give umbrage to England, and he was successful in his efforts. The Etche trouble was, however, still a cause of much embarrassment. Worst of all was the series of bereavements which at this time befell the house of Orange Nassau, In 1877, Queen Sophie died, affectionately remembered for her interest in art and science and her exemplary life. The king's brother, Henry, for 30 years Stadtholder of Luxembourg, died childless early in 1879, and shortly afterwards, in June, the Prince of Orange, who had never married, passed away suddenly at Paris. The two sons of William III's uncle Frederick, predeceased their father, whose death took place in eighteen eighty-one. Alexander, the younger son of the king, was sickly and feeble-minded, and with his disease in eighteen eighty-four, the male line of the House of Orange-Nassau became extinct. Foreseeing such a possibility, in January eighteen seventy-nine, the already aged king took in second wedlock the youthful Princess Emma of waldeck pirmont Great was the joy of the Dutch people when, on August the 31st, 1880, she gave birth to a princess, Wilhelmina, who became from this time forth the hope of a dynasty whose history for three centuries had been bound up with that of the nation. The van Linden administration, having steered its way through many parliamentary crises for four years, was at last beaten upon a proposal to enlarge the franchise, and resigned. February 26, 1883. To Heimskerk was confided the formation of a coalition ministry of neutral character, and this experienced statesman became for the third time First Minister of the Crown. The dissensions in the Liberal Party converted the Second Chamber into a meeting place of hostile factions, and Heemskerk was better fitted than any other politician to be the head of a government which, having no majority to support it, had to rely upon tactful management and expediency. The rise of a socialist party, under the enthusiastic leadership of a former Lutheran pastor, Domela Nieuwenhuis, added to the perplexities of the position. It soon became evident that a revision of the fundamental law and an extension of the franchise, which the king no longer opposed, was inevitable. Meanwhile, the death of Prince Alexander and the king's growing infirmities made it necessary to provide, by a bill passed on August 2nd, 1884, that queen emma should become regent during her daughter's minority everything conspired to beset the path of the Heimskerg ministry with hindrances to administrative and legislative action the bad state of the finances chiefly owing to the calls for the Aceh war the subdivision of all parties into groups the socialist agitation and the weak health of the king created something like a parliamentary deadlock. A revision of the constitution became more and more pressing, as the only remedy, though no party was keenly in its favour. Certain proposals for revision were made by the government, March 1885, but the anti-revolutionaries, the Catholics and the Conservatives were united in opposition unless concessions were made in the matter of religious education. Such concessions as were finally offered were rejected, April 1886, and Heemskerk offered his resignation. Baron Mackay, anti-revolutionary, declining office, a dissolution followed. The result of the elections, however, was inconclusive. The liberals of all shades, having a bare majority of four, but there was no change of ministry. A more conciliatory spirit fortunately prevailed under stress of circumstances in the new chamber, and at last, after many debates, the law revising the Constitution was passed through both chambers and approved by the King, November 30, 1887. It was a compromise measure, and no violent changes were made. The first chamber was to consist of 50 members, appointed by the provincial councils. The second chamber of 100 members, chosen by an electorate of male persons of not less than 25 years of age, with a residential qualification and possessing signs of fitness and social well-being, a vague phrase requiring future definition. The number of electors was increased from, in round numbers, 100,000 to 350,000. But universal male suffrage, the demand of the socialists and more advanced liberals, was not conceded. The elections of 1888 were fought on the question of religious education in the primary schools. The two Christian parties, Calvinist anti-revolutionaries, under the leadership of Dr. Kuyper and the Catholics, who had found a leader of eloquence and power in Dr. Schaapman, a Catholic priest, coalesced in a common program for a revision of Capena's Education Act of 1878. The coalition obtained a majority, 27 anti-revolutionaries and 25 Catholics being returned as against 46 liberals of various groups. For the first time a socialist, Domela Nieuwenhuis, was elected. The Conservative Party was reduced to one member. In the first chamber, the liberals still commanded the majority. In April 1888, Baron Mackay, an anti-revolutionary of moderate views, became first minister. The coalition made the revision of the Education Act of 1878 their first business, and they obtained the support of some liberals who were anxious to see the school question out of the way. The so-called Mackay Law was passed in 1889. It provided that private schools should receive state support on condition that they conform to the official regulations, that the number of scholars should be not less than twenty-five, and that they should be under the management of somebody religious or otherwise recognized by the state, this settlement was a compromise, but it offered the solution of an acute controversy and was found to work satisfactorily. The death of King William on November the twenty third eighteen ninety was much mourned by his people. He was a man of strong and somewhat narrow views, but during his reign of forty-one years, his sincere love for his country was never in doubt, nor did he lose popularity by his anti-liberal attitude on many occasions, for it was known to arise from honest conviction, and it was amidst general regret that the last male representative of the House of Orange Nassau was laid in his grave. A proposal by the Catholic minister Borgesius for the introduction of universal personal military service was displeasing, however, to many of his own party, and it was defeated with the help of Catholic dissidents. An election followed, and the liberals regained a majority. A new government was formed, of a moderate progressive character, the premier being Cornelis van Tienhoven. It was a Ministry of Talents, Tak van Poortvliet, Interior, and N. G. Pearson, Finance, being men of marked ability. Pearson had more success than any of his predecessors in bringing to an end the recurring deficits in the annual balance sheet. He imposed an income tax on all incomes above 650 florins, derived from salaries or commerce. All other sources of income were capitalized, funds, investments, farming, etc., and a tax was placed on all capital above 13,000 florins. Various duties and customs were lowered, to the advantage of trade. There was, however, a growing demand for a still further extension of the franchise, and for an official interpretation of that puzzling qualification of the revision of 1889, signs of fitness and social well-being. Duck van Portvliet brought in a measure which would practically have introduced universal male suffrage, for he interpreted the words as including all who could write and did not receive doles from charity. This proposal, brought forward in 1893, again split up the Liberal Party. The moderates, under the leadership of Samuel van Houten, vigorously opposed such an increase of the electorate, and they had the support of the more conservative anti-revolutionaries and the large part of the Catholics. The more democratic followers of Kuiper and Schaapman and the progressive radicals ranged themselves on the side of Tak van Portvliet. All parties were thus broken up into hostile groups. The election of 1894 was contested no longer on party lines, but between Tachyans and anti-Tachyans. The result was first to Tach, his following only mastering 46 votes against 54 for their opponents. The new administration therefore came into office, May 1894, under the presidency of Jonkhir Johann Roel, with Van Houten as Minister of the Interior on Van Houten's shoulders, fell the task of preparing a new electoral law. His proposals were finally approved in 1896. Before this took place, the Minister of Finance, Spinger van Eyck, had succeeded in relieving the treasury by the conversion of the public debt from 3.5% to a 3% security. The Van Houten reform of the franchise was very complicated. As there were six different categories of persons entitled to exercise the suffrage. 1. Payers of at least one guilder in direct taxation. 2. Householders or lodgers paying a certain minimum rent and having a residential qualification. 3. Proprietors or hirers of vessels of 24 tons at least. 4 earners of a certain specified wage or salary, 5 investors of 100 guilders in the public funds or of 50 guilders in a savings bank, 6 persons holding certain educational diplomas. This very wide and comprehensive franchise raised the number of electors to about 700,000. The election of 1897 after first promising a victory to the more conservative groups, ended by giving a small majority to the liberals, the progressive section winning a number of seats and the socialists increasing their representation in the chamber. A liberal concentration cabinet took the place of the Roel van Houten ministry, its leading members being Pearson finance, and Gouman Borgesius, interior. For a right understanding of the parliamentary situation at this time, and during the years that follow, a brief account of the groups and sections of groups into which political parties in Holland were divided, must here interrupt the narrative of events. It has already been told that the deaths of Thorbecke and Groen van Prinsteren led to a breaking up of the old parties and the formation of new groups. The Education Act of 1878 brought about an alliance of the two parties, who made the question of religious education in the primary school the first article of their political programme, the anti-revolutionaries, led by the ex-Calvinist pastor Dr. Abraham Kuiper, and the Catholics by Dr. Schaapman, a Catholic priest. Kuiper and Schaapman were alike able journalists and used the press with conspicuous success for the propagation of their views, both being advocates of social reform on democratic lines. The anti-revolutionaries, however, did not, as a body, follow the lead of Kuiper. An aristocratic section, whose principles were those of Groen van Prinsterer, orthodox and conservative, under the appellation of historical Christians, were opposed to the democratic ideas of Kuiper, and were, by tradition, anti-Catholic. Their leader was Jonkir Savornen Lohmann. For some years there was a separate Frisian group of historical Christians, but these finally amalgamated with a larger body. The liberals, meanwhile, had split up into three groups. One, the old independent, vrij liberals. Two, the Liberal Progressive Union, Unie van Vooruitstrevende Liberalen, three Liberal Democrats, Vrijzinnig Democratische Bond. The Socialist Party was the development of the Algemene Nederlandse Werkliedenverbond, founded in 1871. Ten years later, by the activities of the fiery agitator Domela Nieuwenhuis, the Social Democratic Bond was formed, and the Socialists became a political party. Loss of Neuenhous seat in 1891 had the effect of making him abandon constitutional methods for a revolutionary and anti-religious crusade. The result of this was a split in the Socialist Party and the formation, under the leadership of Troelstra, van Kohl and van der Goes, of the Social Democratic Workmen's Party, which aimed at promoting the welfare of the proletariat on socialistic lines but by parliamentary means. The followers of Domela Nieuwenhuis, whose openly avowed principles were the destruction of actual social conditions by all means legal and illegal, were after 1894 known as the Socialist Bond. This anarchical party, who took as their motto neither god nor master, rapidly decreased in number. Their leader, discouraged by his lack of success in 1898, withdrew finally from the political arena, and the socialist bond was dissolved. This gave an accession of strength to the Social Democratic Workmen's Party, which has since the beginning of the present century gradually acquired an increasing hold upon the electorate. End of chapter 34